Hyrule Castle is one of the most used locations in the entire series. Sure, we moved to Termina, Holodrum, Labrina, and a few other locations over the course of the timeline, but Hyrule Castle is possibly the most reused area in the series, and that's down to the game's inherent nature. This is The Legend of Zelda, you'd expect the Princess of Hyrule to have a part to play in most of, if not all of these games. Something else that has been done in the past and after Twilight Princess is using Hyrule Castle, or a darkened version of it, as a dungeon. Oftentimes the final dungeon of any given game. In the 3D games, the trope has most notably been used in Ocarina of Time, Wind Waker, Breath of the Wild, and Tears of the Kingdom now, though that's less of a final dungeon. But I've gotta be honest, it's taken a good few years for me to finally warm up to this place, and it's probably a reason why I love the game so much at the moment. Hyrule Castle in Twilight Princess is my favourite end dungeon of any Zelda game, though Breath of the Wild's Hyrule Castle comes damn close. Today we talk about Hyrule Castle and its subsequent boss fights and why I believe it is the best finale in a Zelda game with only one other in Tears of the Kingdom that's even a contender in my eyes. But first, how did we get here? Well, as established at the end of The Palace of Twilight, the Fused Shadow is a strong son of a gun, so with that in mind, Midna uses this strength to penetrate the barrier surrounding the castle. This symbolises just how far she's come during this adventure. Near the beginning, she only views Link as a pet. On this journey, she's found friendship in Link, and has realised there is use and meaning to Hylian's lives. She is willing to risk her life with the interloper's power for the people she would have thought to be lower than her before. It's a great way of showing a progression that we'll be talking a bit more about later on. For a second though, before we get into the courtyard, I want to talk about the placement of this game's Hyrule Castle, and why it is so much more than I think it is in every other Zelda game, barring the Error of Wilds. Hyrule Castle has a place in this world, and in times of hardship, it is a beacon for those who have succumbed to the darkness. It is the beacon of hope that Princess Zelda inhabits, the protector of Hyrule. Until the very last second, the princess tried her best to help her people. Throughout the game, you're tasked with returning to Castletown more than any other game. It's where Telma's Tavern are just generally best locations in the game. It's where a lot of the best mini-games are too. For all intensive purposes, it is the hub for this rendition of Hyrule. For any of your needs in the middle to late game, you're likely to go back to Castletown, and that's by design. Despite Hyrule Castle actually being in danger, this little town full of people just living their lives aren't phased by what's happening unless they're taken in by the twilight. This town is your reprieve from everything that's going wrong. After a hard day's work in the Arbiter's grounds, you're likely to return here out of your own volition, not because the Temple of Time is in the area and you've just got to run through the town to make your way there, no, it's just so you can prepare for your journey ahead, and that's a feeling that isn't replicated much in the series, and isn't replicated with any other rendition of Castletown in my opinion. I think it's further exemplified with things like the crowd density. The crowds in this Castletown are unlike any in the series, so much so that the hero of Twilight, the Pro, wearing the garbs of the protectors of Hyrule's past, isn't even really noticed in this town. Maybe this is speculative, but I like to think that for Link, this is a reprieve from the attention that he gets as the chosen hero from pretty much everyone out and about. He's on a mission, but here, he gets to just be a person. And I think that's a very satisfying way to show somebody who might have something like imposter syndrome finally getting to have his moment of calm while he weathers the storm. Funnily enough, I called the first episode in this series, The Calm Before the Storm, and if the first section of the game is that, then I like to think that Castletown is the calm during the storm. Or the calm whilst in the storm? Or the bunker your uncle made so that you'd survive a particularly bad storm? I either way, I think it's a perfect way to show this. So having all of that stripped away from you on this new lead up to Hyrule Castle that's been taken over by Ganondorf? I think that's a bloody genius move. Stripping the town of all of its inhabitants, weakening the hero emotionally before a battle, showing the true grandiose of this final battle. 
For me, this battle has more stakes than any other in the series, considering how relentless Ganondorf is at this point by basically sacrificing his stepping stone in Zant, and the fact that he's clawed his way back from a seemingly unchangeable fate. Well, all of that and we're not even in the courtyard. After Midna's heroics, the hero enters the giant double doors, and spots that the castle's main building is locked. We'd never seen the courtyard of a 3D version of Hyrule Castle this overrun by chaos until Breath of the Wild. In Ocarina of Time, the courtyard is basically non-existent, while in other games like Wind Waker, you've got a path to where you need to go. This courtyard is more lived in. You could imagine the groundskeepers tending to the grass and the decisions that would have been made to make it as aesthetically pleasing to visitors while still making it elegant in design. Apart from this, there's not much to say about the courtyard to be honest. One thing to say about this dungeon as a whole is that a lot of the enemies you're fighting are villains that you'll recognise, and I think that's a great thing. You start off in the courtyard fighting Bokoblins and Kargoroks, as you ascend through the floors of Hyrule Castle, you start to see more and more enemies you've come to expect as the game's gone on. Enemies like Dynalfos, Aeralfos, Ghoulrats, Stalfos, Lizalfos, and Darknuts. The progression of enemies through this dungeon is a nice send-off for one of the 3D titles with the most enemies overall, but no send-off for a non-final boss enemy in this series has ever been as impactful as King Baublin in my eyes. He's one of those characters that doesn't really say anything, and that's probably because he can't. His entire army is made up of Bokoblins that chant at each other at most, and ignore each other at worst. The King has been defeated time and time again by Link, once on Elden Bridge in a joust, once at the bridge above Lake Hylia, and once in one-on-one -on -one combat outside of the Arbiter's grounds, and even then he formed a trap for the hero, and Link still managed to escape. Link has managed to thwart the plans of Zant, Ganondorf, and King Baublin throughout the entire game. By this point he's likely vanquished a very large portion of King Baublin's army, especially in Hyrule Castle's courtyard one of the most Bokoblin heavy areas in the entire game. After defeating the king in yet another one-to-one -one sword fight, he realises something that he probably knew to some extent all along. He lifts the key to the castle. To show his respect, he musters up as many words as his English can carry him through. I follow the strongest side. That's all I've ever known. While it can be easy to label Bokoblins and especially King Baublin as evil in this game, are they the problem or was it just the way that their system works as a species? If they're destined to follow the strongest side, can they be blamed for the sinister kidnapping of Colin and everything else? That is a moral question for which I will leave to you, dear viewer. The rest of the courtyard offers some nice smaller puzzles with items you've attained over your journey, but nothing of note particularly. More than anything, I think this section of the dungeon is used as a world building tool, for the Bokos, for the castle, and for this legend. Opening the door to Hyrule Castle is a moment for me. I don't think this dungeon is one of the best in the game, considering I believe this game has the best dungeons in all of the series, but it ranks somewhere in the middle of the pack for me, which is still supremely good when held up to some others. Every single thing you've done has led up to this moment, and let us not forget, this is one of the longest traditional Zelda games out there if you're running through the story. When you play a game for long enough, no matter if you're indifferent on the game or if you you love it. By the 25 hour mark you've usually found some amount of connection unless you've been playing over the course of half a year. This means that by the time I reach the conclusion of this game I am definitely ready to beat Ganondorf's ass. That dude has somehow breezed his way through every single piece of adversity that's ever come his way and I want to sit him down for good. Since I haven't been doing this for every other dungeon, I really don't feel like going through every single puzzle step by step for this one, especially seeing as we're reaching an epic conclusion here. But as I said, I think it's a good final dungeon. The enemies are well selected, the theme is done impeccably with the climb all the way up to the throne room of the castle, plus it's awesome to see pieces of armour that Hylian soldiers wear set up on armour stands. 
The Dark Nuts in particular are used really well as the climb gets tougher and tougher since I find Dark Nuts in this game to be some of the hardest enemies in the entire series. I also really like that the castle isn't all set inside. It's probably a strange point to bring up, but having moments to catch your breath outside of the castle whilst also seeing how high up you've climbed through its chambers is nice and rewarding. Items are used really well in here too, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why I think it's probably the best final dungeon in the series. At some point in the castle you'll be asked to use each item you've acquired through the game. One specific section of this dungeon I actually remember very fondly comes up in the final 5 minutes or so. As your climb nears its end, the castle becomes more and more ruined, making the staircase above completely unable to actually be used by someone who doesn't have the claw shots of the spinner. Having small fighting trials mixed in with climbing these ruined staircases makes for a satisfying end to the dungeon. This is amplified since this climb is capped off with a double dark nut fight, a fight I always seem to struggle with. This leads us to the throne room, the culmination of the hero of twilight's journey, and in a very roundabout way, the end of the hero of time's journey too. Let's not forget that the hero shade is the hero from both Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. He's been training the hero of twilight to finish the job seemingly a century after the events of his battle with the tyrant. This is the culmination of two heroes' lives. Stepping into the throne room, Link and Minna spot Ganondorf for the first time, looking eerily smug and notably looking both similar and somehow different to how he looked during the era of time, but still having his piece of the Triforce. The Triforce of Power making it clear that this will be a battle of the likes that Link had never seen before. Since I also don't want to just recap the story to end off the retrospective, I will say that this version of Ganondorf is clearly one of the most powerful we've seen, possessing the Triforce of Power, clearly outwitting what became of an entire realm of people, escaping his supposed eternal imprisonment and having the courage to go through with his plan. He doesn't have the full Triforce, but I'll be damned if I said that he needed the other pieces in the first place. This Ganondorf is the full package. He mocks Midna and her people at how easy they're deceived and how easily the interlopers were cast aside by the light spirits when creating the fused shadow. Here we can also see that Ganondorf now possesses the power of the more powerful members of the Twilight, making him even more formidable. Zelda strung up high, Ganondorf intends to make her a puppet to fight against the pair that have been giving him so much trouble, and also released him from his captivity in a way. Midna rushes to Zelda's aid but the attempt is in vain, therefore beginning the fight against Phantom Zelda. If you're watching the full retrospective when it's out, you'll probably have realised that I've not really been discussing the namesake of the series that much at all, and that's because, despite having a cool design and clearly being a thought-out leader for Hyrule Kingdom, it's hard to ever actually connect with her outside of her sacrifice for Midna. You don't get to know her well enough outside of her connection to Midna. So while I love this game, it's tough that Zelda got the short straw here. Though, the focus coming away from Zelda did mean that we got one of the best companions in the series, so hey, I think the trade-off is at least semi-warranted. All of this to say that Phantom Zelda should have emotional stakes, but since we're playing as Link and not Midna, it really does just end up feeling like the average Phantom Ganon fight in my opinion. Play some tennis, volleyball, badminton, shittily played football, whichever other sports you feel like calling it and the jobs are good. After weakening the puppet, Midna uses the full might of the Fused Shadow to subdue the princess in the hopes that Ganondorf will cease to possess her further. This ends up working as we get one of the nicest shots of the hero and the Twilight Princess together, before coming into our next battle against Dark Beast Ganon. No, no, not the one you're probably thinking of, this one. While the last fight was clearly meant to be fought by Link's human form, this one is fought Dog vs Giant Pig, and uses some of the skills he would have learnt as a farmer in his late teens to early twenties. Link signals when to grab the Dark Beast, Minna does the thing and throws him aside. Upon doing this, you can strike the weak point on his chest caused by the sages during his execution. 
This fight is definitely more so about the spectacle of it all, but I can get behind that. It's pretty fun and never fails to bring a smile to my face. Thinking back to herding the goats at the very start of the game, and flashing forward to handling a giant boar is one of those callbacks that just brings a fat grin to my face. The heroes think the battle is over, and the portion of Zelda's life force that was given to Midna is returned to the princess. Or rather the queen, really. This makes for a nice moment as both prominent pieces of royalty from the realms have a second of peace, before it's ruined by Ganondorf as he makes yet another return, the stubborn bugger. Once again, Minna summons the full power of the few shadow in an effort to stop him for good. She teleports Link and Zelda away from the castle. One really nice detail in this moment is Link reaching to grab the Midna. Again, it makes you think back to meeting her and thinking that she wasn't a good person. It's also one of the few times in the entire series that we see a version of Link really care for someone as he believes they could be reaching their end. The hero and Zelda look out at Hyrule Field in the hope that Midna escaped but no such luck, and in fact, there's a giant explosion near the castle. As the smoke clears, Ganondorf is sat on his horse, Midna's helmet in hand before crushing it, once again showing the sheer power of this villain, especially with the Sword of Sages in hand, the sword that was used in his execution so many years before. The Light Spirits gift Zelda with the Bow of Light, one of the few items that could really affect this enraged Demon King, and as you open your eyes once more, you're sitting on your horse. Tingle. Wait, wait a minute, that's just the name I called my horse. I mean Epona. Epona in this game isn't the most well written. Go figures, it's a horse. But it's definitely the most involved one of the mounts in these games has been utilised, since it's your main way of traversing Hyrule Field, and the field is way bigger than Ocarina of Times. Fighting alongside Epona at this stage in the game feels like a perfect send-off for one of the characters that you've been with on this entire journey, through thick and thin. That being said, I am indifferent on this fight apart from the emotional impact of being with Epona. I've never been a huge fan of horseback fights in any game, not even in Elden Ring where they seem way more thought out. Once again, fighting on the hills of Hyrule Field is nice, but I find it memorable for its spectacle more so than its battle. Link slashes at Ganondorf one final time and his body seems to go limp before his horse gives way. Ganondorf lay on the field, the dirt obstructing the hero's view before he stands up, showing his relentless determination. Link hops off his trusty companion and approaches the villain. Ganondorf whips out his sword with the intent to blot out the light forever. And what ensues is one of the single coolest fights in the series. In the middle of Hyrule Field, the castle in the background, darkness versus light, there's not much I can say for the fight itself, it really just is a one-on-one -on -one sword fight. Very similar to the Dark Nuts, but with the emotional pressure of avenging Midna and all else who fell to Ganondorf. It feels like a battle you must win, not one that you're winning because you were the chosen hero, but a battle that you picked. And we've talked about how Link can wrestle a Goron and he's herd goat with his bare hands and stuff, but this fight showcases that this hero can actually push Ganondorf back in a sword lock. That alone is impressive, but let's not forget that Ganondorf has the Triforce of Power. Link is genuinely a beast at this point. He uses all of the techniques given to him by his ancestor and finally settles the score, driving the Master Sword deep into Ganondorf's wound. He stands to meet his demise, getting his final words out. Before the Triforce of Power abandons him, and all that's left is him, just barely breathing, before Zant deals the final blow and breaks his neck. The pair left on the battlefield look around in amazement as the Light Spirit greets them after their journey, with someone knocked out just below them. Midna's real form. Midna's arc fully complete, being someone who's twisted, an imp, something you wouldn't think to be human. As the game plays out, you see her becoming more human, having compassion, before she's finally seen as a human, or a twilight in this case. For the future of her people, Midna has to go back to the Twilight Realm to be a true leader this time, and help her people. The princess and the hero say their goodbyes as Midna steps through into the Twilight Realm, 
breaking the mirror of twilight in the process. Roll credits. But that's not all folks, the full version of this entire retrospective with about 10-15 to 15 minutes of added director's cut material, Zack Snyder, I'm coming for your ass, will be releasing sometime in the next month, so keep an eye out for that as it'll include a ton of stuff I never got the chance to mention, side content, Ilya, and all that kind of good stuff. So while this retrospective is a little more to go in the full video, I hope you'll re-watch the retrospective from the very beginning when that releases. These are the patrons and members of this channel, Sumji and Thomas Jury Wong are even cooler for being my top patron people, Please tent and I'll see you soon.